Hello kids, it is me again. Um, I've been very, very inconsistent with my story reading and I'm not happy about that, but I hope to remedy it going forward. And um, I thought today we might read two stories from the beautiful and diverse um, armory of um, Ruskin Bond. Um, I think I've told you a little bit about Ruskin Bond. Um, but in case you've forgotten, let me revisit it and remind you. So Ruskin Bond's first novel, The Room on the Roof, was written when he was just 17. And he received an award for that. Since then, he's written a lot of novellas and over 500 short stories that have appeared in magazines and anthologies. He received a prestigious award, literary award in India called the Sahitya Academy Award. He also won the Padma Shri and the Padma Bhushan, both of which are very, very um, prestigious awards um, in India. He was born in Kasoli in Himachal Pradesh and he grew up in Jamnagar in Dehradun, New Delhi and Shimla. He spent four years in the Channel Islands and London when he was a young man and returned to India in 1955. I was going to say returned back to India and obviously that would have been wrong because return means to go back. So it's one of the um, more commonly made mistakes when we say return back um, or we say something like it comprises of when actually comprise means made up of. So we should just say comprise. But more on that later. Uh, he now lives in Landor, Missouri with his adopted family. So the first story we're going to read is called A Tiger in the House. Timothy the Tiger Cub was discovered by grandfather on a hunting expedition in the Terai jungle near Dehra. Grandfather was no shikari. Shikari means hunter. But as he knew the forests of the Siwalik Hills better than most people, he was persuaded to accompany the party. It consisted of several very important persons. The abbreviation for that, as you might know, is VIP. So it consisted of several VIPs from Delhi to advise on the terrain and the direction the beaters should take once a tiger had been spotted. The camp itself was sumptuous. Seven large tents, one for each shikari, a dining tent and a number of servants' tents. The dinner was very good. As grandfather admitted afterwards, it was not often that one saw hot, <coughs> hot water plates, finger glasses and seven or eight courses in a tent in the jungle. But that was how things were done in the days of the viceroys. There were also some 15 elephants four of them with howras for the shikaris and the others specially trained for taking part in the beat. The sportsmen never saw a tiger, nor did they shoot anything else, though they saw a number of deer, peacock and wild boar. They were giving up all hope of finding a tiger and were beginning to shoot at jackals when grandfather strolling down the forest path at some distance from the rest of the party discovered a little tiger about 18 inches long hiding amongst the intricate roots of a banyan tree. 
grandfather picked him up and brought him home after the camp had broken up. He had the distinction of being the only member of the party to have bagged any game, dead or alive. At first, the tiger cub who was named Timothy by grandmother was brought up entirely on milk given to him in a feeding bottle by our cook, Mahmood. But the milk proved too rich for him and he was put on a diet of raw mutton and cod liver oil to be followed later by a more tempting diet of pigeons and rabbits. Timothy was provided with two companions. Toto the monkey, who was bold enough to pull the young tiger by the tail and then climb up the curtains if Timothy lost his temper and a small mongrel puppy found on the road by grandfather. At first Timothy appeared to be quite afraid of the puppy and darted back with a spring if it came too near. He would make absurd dashes at it with his large forepaws and then retreat to a ridiculously safe distance. Finally, he allowed the puppy to crawl on his back and rest there. One of Timothy's favourite amusements was to stalk anyone who would play with him. And so when I came to live with Grandfather, I became one of the tiger's favourites. With a crafty look in his glittering eyes and his body crouching, he would creep closer and closer to me, suddenly making a dash for my feet, rolling over on his back and kicking with delight, and then pretending to bite my ankles. He was by this time the size of a full-grown retriever. And when I took him out for walks, people on the road would give us a wide berth. When he pulled hard on his chain, I had difficulty in keeping up with him. His favourite place in the house was in the drawing room and he would make himself comfortable on the long sofa, reclining there with great dignity and snarling at anybody who tried to get him off. Timothy had clean habits and would scrub his face with his paws exactly like a cat. He slept at night in the cook's quarters and was always delighted at being let out by him in the morning. One of these days, declared Grandmother in her prophetic manner, we are going to find Timothy sitting on Mahmood's bed and no sign of the cook except his clothes and shoes. Of course it never came to that, but when Timothy was about six months old, a change came over him. He grew steadily less friendly. When out for a walk with me, he would try to steal away to stalk a cat or someone's pet pekinese. Sometimes at night we would hear frenzied cackling from the poultry house and in the morning there would be feathers lying all over the veranda. Timothy had to be chained more often and finally when he began to stalk Mahmood about the house with what looked like a villainous intent, Grandfather decided it was time to transfer him to a zoo. The nearest zoo was at Lucknow. 200 miles away. Reserving a first-class compartment for himself and Timothy, no one would dare share a compartment with them, Grandfather took him to Lucknow where the zoo authorities were only too glad to receive a gift as a well-fed and fairly civilised tiger. About six months later, when my grandparents were visiting relatives in Lucknow, Grandfather took the opportunity of calling at the zoo to see how Timothy was getting on. 
I was not there to accompany him, but I heard all about it when he returned to Dehra. Arriving at the zoo, Grandfather made straight for the particular cage in which Timothy had been interned. The tiger was there, crouched in a corner, full grown and with a magnificent striped coat. Hello, Timothy, said Grandfather, and climbing the railing with ease, he put his arm through the bars of the cage. The tiger approached the bars and allowed Grandfather to put both hands around his head. Grandfather stroked the tiger's forehead and tickled his ear, and whenever he growled, he smacked him across the mouth, which was his old way of keeping him quiet. He licked Grandfather's hands and only sprang away when a leopard in the next cage snarled at him. Grandfather shooed the leopard away and the tiger returned to lick his hands, but every now and then the leopard would rush at the bars and the tiger would slink back to his corner. A number of people had gathered to watch the reunion when a keeper pushed his way through the crowd and asked Grandfather what he was doing. I'm talking to Timothy, said Grandfather. Weren't you here when I gave him to the zoo six months ago? Um, I haven't been here very long, said the surprised keeper. Please continue your conversation, but uh, I've never been able to touch him myself. He is always very bad-tempered. Why don't you put him somewhere else? suggested Grandfather. That leopard keeps frightening him. I'll go and see the superintendent about it. Grandfather went in search of the superintendent of the zoo, but found that he had gone home early. And so, after wandering about the zoo for a little while, he returned to Timothy's cage to say goodbye. It was beginning to get dark. He had been stroking and slapping Timothy for about five minutes when he found another keeper observing him with some alarm. Grandfather recognised him as the keeper who had been there when Timothy had first come to the zoo. You remember me, said Grandfather. Now why don't you transfer Timothy to another cage away from the silly leopard? But, 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 sir, stammered the keeper, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not your tiger. I know, I know, said Grandfather testily. I realise he is no longer mine, but you might as well take a suggestion or two from me. Oh no, sir, I remember your tiger very well, said the keeper. He died two months ago. Died? exclaimed Grandfather. Yes, sir, of pneumonia. This tiger was trapped in the hills only last month, and he is very, very dangerous. Grandfather could think of nothing to say. The tiger was still licking his arm with increasing relish. Grandfather took what seemed to him an age to withdraw his hand from the cage. With his face near the tiger's, he mumbled, Good night, Timothy. And giving the keeper a scornful look, he walked briskly out of the zoo. What a lovely lovely story children wasn't it it's incredible how animals um you know if you show love to an animal even the fiercest of animals can have a different behavior and it's quite amazing that when everybody else in the zoo obviously tried to tame that uh, wild tiger um, they couldn't do it because maybe they just they were scared you know sometimes we're scared and we're fearful and when we're fearful we 
we get nervous and our nervousness actually can make an animal more scared and they can be irritable and they can pounce and they can bite because that is really their their form of defense they're not necessarily attacking you because they want to it's because they're scared but when you show them love unconditional love look what happens in return so a wonderful moving and beautiful story by Ruskin Bond one of my favorite favorite authors so we're now going to move on to the next little story and that story is called the night the roof blew off looking back at the experience i suppose it was the sort of thing that should have happened in a james thurber story like the dam that burst or the ghost who got in but i wasn't thinking of thurber at the time although a few of his books were among the many i was trying to save from the icy rain and sleet pouring into my bedroom and study we have grown accustomed to sudden storms up here at 7000 feet in the himalayan foothills and the old building in which i live has for over a hundred years received the brunt of the wind and the rain as they sweep across the hills from the east we'd lived in the building for over 10 years without anything untoward happening it had even taken the shock of an earthquake without sustaining any major damage it is difficult to tell the new cracks from the old it's a three story building and i live on the top floor with my adopted family three children and their parents The roof consists of corrugated tin sheets, the ceiling of wooden boards. That's the tradition hill station roof. Ours <clears throat> ours had held fast in many a storm, but the wind that night was stronger than we'd ever known it. It was cyclonic in its intensity, and it came rushing at us with a high-pitched eerie wail. the old roof groaned and protested at the unrelieved pressure it took this battering for several hours while the rain lashed against the windows and the lights kept coming and going there was no question of sleeping but we remained in bed for warmth and comfort the fire had long since gone out the chimney stack having collapsed bringing down a shower of sooty rainwater After about 4 hours of buffeting, the roof could take it no longer. My bedroom faces east, so my portion of the roof was the first to go. The wind got under it and kept pushing until with a ripping groaning sound, the metal sheets shifted from their moorings, some of them dropping with claps of thunder onto the road below. So that's it, I thought. Nothing worse can happen. As long as the ceiling stays on, I'm not getting out of my bed. We'll pick up the roof in the morning. Icy water cascading down my face made me change my mind in a hurry. Leaping from my bed, I found that much of the ceiling had gone too. Water was pouring onto my open typewriter, the typewriter that had been my trusty companion for almost 30 years, and onto the bedside radio, bed covers and clothes cupboard. The only object that wasn't receiving any rain was the potted philodendron, 
which could have done with a little with a little watering picking up my precious typewriter and abandoning the rest i stumbled into the front sitting room come library only to find that a similar situation had developed there water was pouring through the wooden slats raining down onto the bookshelves by now i had been joined by the children who had come to rescue me their section of the roof hadn't gone as yet their parents were struggling to close a window that had burst open letting in lashings of wind and rain save the books shouted dolly the youngest and that became our rallying cry for the next hour or two i have open shelves vulnerable to borrowers as well as to floods dolly and her brother picked up armful of books and carried them into their room but the floor was now a wash all over the apartment so the books had to be piled on the beds dolly was helping me gather up some of my manuscripts when a large field rat leapt onto the desk in front of her dolly squealed and ran for the door it's all right said mukesh whose love of animals extends even to field rats he's only sheltering from the storm big brother rakesh whistled for our mongrel toby but toby wasn't interested in rats just then he had taken shelter in the kitchen the only dry spot in the house at this point two rooms were practically roofless and the sky was frequently lighted up for us by flashes of lightning there were fireworks inside too as water sputtered and crackled along a damaged electric wire then the lights went out all together which in some ways made the house a safer place prem the children's father is at his best in an emergency and he had already located and lit two kerosene lamps so we continued to transfer books papers and clothes to the children's room we noticed that the water on the floor was beginning to subside a little where is it going asked dolly for we could see no outlet through the floor said mukesh down to the rooms below he was right too cries of consternation from our neighbors told us that we were now having that they were now having their share of floods too our feet were freezing because there hadn't been any time to put on enough protective fo- footwear and in any case shoes and slippers were a wash tables and chairs were also piled high with books i hadn't realized the considerable size of my library until that night the available beds were pushed into the driest corner of the children's room and there huddled in blankets and quilts we spent the remaining hours of the night while the storm continued to threaten further mayhem but then the wind fell and it began to snow through the door to the sitting room i could see snowflakes drifting through the gaps in the ceiling settling on picture frames statuettes and miscellaneous ornaments mundane things like a glue bottle and a plastic doll took on a certain beauty when covered with soft snow the clock on the wall had stopped and with its covering of snow reminded me of a painting by salvador dali and my shaving brush looked ready for use most of us dozed off 
I sensed that the direction of the wind had changed and that it was now blowing from the west. It was making a rushing sound in the trees rather than in what remained of our roof. The clouds were scurrying away. When the dawn broke, we found the window panes encrusted with snow and icicles. Then the rising sun struck through the gaps in the ceiling and turned everything to gold. Snow crystals glinted like diamonds on the empty bookshelves. I crept into my abandoned bedroom to find the philodendron looking like a Christmas tree. Prem went out to find a carpenter and a tinsmith, while the rest of us started putting things in the sun to dry out. And by evening, we'd put much of the roof on again. Vacant houses are impossible to find in Missouri, so there was no question of moving. But it's a much improved roof now and I look forward to approaching storms with some confidence. So that was a, a very interesting story about a real life event and how beautifully Ruskin Bond has described it. And he's shown us how when there's an emergency, when there is um, a problem, we all come together to find a solution, don't we? And that's the resilience of the human spirit. So on that note, I am going to end our little evening get together and I'm going to wish you all good night. I hope you have a wonderful night with lovely, lovely dreams. I hope that you sleep well and you wake up refreshed for a beautiful day. It's a Friday tomorrow. After that, we have the weekend. So a great day that I hope we all have. I send you all my love and lots of hugs. Good night.